Welcome to Chatting with Channing, the podcast for Channing School that lets you, the listener, find out more by hearing from people throughout the school community. Each episode, you'll hear real stories from staff, from pupils, from parents and the school's alumni to give you a true reflection of life on Highgate Hill. Now, in this episode, we're speaking to Channing School's assistant headteacher, Andrew Boardman. Andrew will be talking to us about a variety of topics, from his role at Channing and how things have changed in education during his time as a teacher, through to the subject he teaches and the time and research that goes into improving how children are taught and how they learn. But Andrew will also talk to us about the learning spotlight, what it is and how it helps both pupils and parents, as well as discussing academic buoyancy. So come with me now as we talk about all of this and more with Assistant Head Andrew Boardman. So today I'm delighted to be catching up with Andrew Boardman, who Assistant Head at Channing Senior School. Hello. Hi, how are you? Andrew, tell me a little bit more about your role in the school. Yeah, so I'm Assistant Head uh, Teaching and Learning, which I guess means I lead on teaching and learning, which sounds very vague and is a little bit crazy, I suppose, because schools are all about teaching and all about learning. But I see my role as encouraging my colleagues to reflect on their practice, making it easier for them to do so. So I distill some of the most up-to-date research around teaching and learning into consumable bite-sized pieces for them. And I guess a real focus for me is ensuring that my colleagues feel empowered and supported to be the most creative professionals they can be. What I really like about my role is we know so much more about the science of learning than we used to and also about the teaching methods that we can use to ensure that our young people make the most progress. So I guess my role is to acknowledge that all teachers have their own teaching style, but that we do know that there are some certain moves they can do in the classroom, moves of, I call it moves of the expert teacher, that Mm. ensures that progress is most likely. And it's my job to kind of share that practice. That must be really interesting because it must be evolving all the time because there's, there's research and learning going on all the time about it, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think the other part of my role is to make sure that we don't follow the latest fad and newest thing and to make sure that it is grounded in, in proper research. We're really lucky as a profession, I think, now. 20 years ago, research was done by academics to teachers and it was pretty inaccessible, whereas now... You know, there's a growing number of publications and books. Twitter's, Twitter has really helped. Twitter can be a bad thing at times, but Twitter's a really good thing in the, in the edu sphere, if, if you were. <laughs> and I work with some really amazing colleagues. Channing is a really collaborative learning community. I think, you know, the best teachers are, are the best learners as well and teachers that are willing to give things a go. And there's lots of them at Channing. And is it difficult to keep up with the pace of change? That's an interesting question. No, I think we've got to a stage now as a profession and as a school where we know what works. I mean, there are still things to find out, one of which would obviously be technology, which I guess is where your question is going, what you're alluding to. But, but, you know, the research around technology is in its infancy, but technology in the classroom, it's really clear what works and what doesn't, you know, Mm. using technology as a tool to enhance learning is really effective using technology for technology's sake isn't. And I think we've, we've, we've got the balance right at Channing. So I would say it's not, it's not difficult because I'm given, I'm privileged to have time to do it. And I work with colleagues outside of school who have, who have my role in, in other schools and that's helpful as well. Luckily, they haven't replaced teachers yet then. No, and I, and I, think, <laughs> and I think what online, well, we call it virtual school has proved is that it's very difficult to That whole give and take, I suppose. I, I think so, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's about collaboration, yeah. Now, you also teach. What subject do you teach? 
I do. Okay, so I'm actually I'm a geographer at heart, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most vital. Every teacher says this about their subject, don't they? <laughs> but I think it's one of the most important in terms of content and the issues that we look at. Geographers view the world in a holistic way. We join the dots. I think I bring quite a bit of my approach to geography to my teaching and learning a part of my role. So yeah, I'm, I'm a geography teacher. So it's not still about alluvial deposits or whatever no. we did when we were that's, doing that's geography. <laughs> and that, and that, is, that is really good knowledge. Well done. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. And the comment we do get at Parents' Evening a lot is parents say, it's not like it was in my day, which I think my daughter did a geography degree. And when I went to Leeds University with her to visit a parent put their hand up and said to the lecturer, how can you guarantee that those topics will be the topics you teach when my daughter comes? And the lecturer leant over and said, if these are topics your daughter learns, we're not doing our job, which I think is a really good answer from a geographer. Mm. When you catch an Uber, when you look where your nearest COVID jab centre is, like when you look at house prices, when you're tracking an Amazon order, that's all geographical information systems and that's all geography. And then if you were to look at things like patterns of Uber drivers, where they go, where they pick up, that's all geography. So, you know, it's a, it's a really fundamental part of the way that we live our lives now. Yeah, it's much more all-encompassing than it was, isn't it? It, it absolutely is, yeah. yeah. You're obviously very passionate about teaching as well, by the sounds of it. I, 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 yes, I, I am. I, as I said, I am a geographer at heart and I'm, I'm married to a geographer as well. So <laughs> <laughs> a geography teacher, that's how I met my wife. Yeah. Well, tell me more about teaching and learning spotlight. What's that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that they are issued once every uh, two weeks. It's our, I guess, it's our teaching and learning publication, which goes to uh, staff virtually. Uh, it's not a paper copy. So is that your internal also, publication? It, it is, okay. but we put it on. We put it on the website for other people to to read, and. I write a little bit for the word from the head each week and I try to embed what the te- what we've looked at as teachers in the teaching learning spotlight in word from the head. I'll come back to your question in a second. I think it's really important, my role, to ensure that parents know that we are a learning profession and value our professionalism and that we're research-led and I see it as part of my role to create a communication with parents about what we're looking at in terms of our pedagogy and how we can improve our practice and parents need need to know that that's what we're doing and the spotlight is one way in which I communicate some of the ideas and themes around our teaching and learning development plan to colleagues in bite-sized pieces. It used to be two sides and now it's down to one and the, the, the guys at school very helpfully are very creative and make it more of an infographic, actually, than mm. a, a sort of publication. So a couple of the themes that we've looked at so far this term have been around academic buoyancy, looking at the dangers of imposter syndrome in the classroom and looking at the types of questioning we can use as teachers that encourage our students to be more fearless. So, yeah, I, I tend to read the research and then distill it into these spotlights once every two weeks. Sounds yeah. excellent. And, and also, if the parents are seeing that, they must feel much more included in how the, the actual teaching and learning takes place. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. A couple of years ago, I, I, on Fridays, I would teach a Year 13 geography class immediately after the spotlights came out. I also do something called Teaching and Learning Briefing, which is every other week, mm. where I talk about a bit more deeply about what's in the spotlight. And with this Year 13 class, I, I used to just show them the slides that I'd shown staff. They were, you know, the students really engaged with it and were really interested to, to find out what we were learning about. And I think 
probably there's something there for me to build on in terms of moving forward mm. and getting the students more engaged in what works for them, which which we are, we are trying to do. Yeah. Yes, it's an interesting prospect, isn't it? If you're learning something, to feel that the teacher is also learning too doesn't yeah. make you feel so ill at ease because you realise that you're kind of all in it together. Absolutely, and we've we've talked so we've talked about questioning recently, and we do this thing called cold calling, which is where you try to insist on no hands up, although it's just common nature to put your hand up, isn't it, if uh, human nature to put it up if you want to answer a question. But the teacher deliberately ignores hands and chooses who they want to answer. And in a, a kind of mature, cold-calling classroom where students are used to it, they know they're going to get asked a question, they know they might not know the answer, and they know they've got to give it a go, and the teacher might move on, might prod, might probe. And I think in the past we've sort of had a bit of mystique around why we might do that and what we're trying to do one of the focuses for next term is we're actually going to deliberately tell the students this is why we cold call you know it, it mm. makes it means that everyone's given time to think anybody might ask all your answers are value, valued and you can you must listen to other students answers and being explicit with the students about why we do things is really important I think demystifying the profession I guess I think and it sounds reassuring as well from a learning point of view that sounds massively reassuring for young people absolutely and I I was saying to a year 10 group that I spoke to just before this interview I was saying you know I've always thought that the 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 best teachers are are also the best learners Mm. you know the the most the the best teachers are the most reflective practitioners What's academic also, buoyancy, <laughs> Mr. Borden? Yeah, so, okay, so... <laughs> You've lost well, me. I mean, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's ex- exactly what it, what it says, really, which is kind of that ability to, to bounce back and to use failure as, a, as, a, as part of the learning process and recognise that, and also recognise when you need help and yeah. know where to look for it. There's some interesting research done around that. I, I guess it's, it's in the same, let's say, the same lifeboat as... Uh, growth mindset and resilience of course the the danger in my role is it just all becomes tiny sound bites Mm. and I think the spotlight is very much about the research behind some of these terms but also what it might look like in your classroom and I I think that will that will be my mantra is like what does this look like in somebody's classroom and how can we facilitate um, how can I facilitate or my colleagues to, to kind of engage with the research and ensure it's embedded and give them confidence that it will work and the confidence to try new things. Yeah. There's been a lot of research into changing habits. A guy called Harry Fletcher Wood looked at teachers and changing habits and, it, and it's really difficult. Teachers are like oil tankers in terms of turning, you know, and I include myself <laughs> in that. Changing habits is difficult. So you've got to give people, you know, certainly a, a school like Channing where we're successful, you know, giving people a reason to change if we get good exam results and the students are happy, etc., but you know we we can all improve. Yeah. I suppose and it's I about to... refreshing rather than changing, isn't it? It's about uh, not going with the tre- with the sort of trendy fads, but actually developing. Absolutely. Yeah, grounded in what we know works mm. with our students. I mean, I said to that year eight, year ten group earlier that I referred to that as, as a teacher, you're, you're always failing. You are. You 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 explain something. You think all the students have got it, you've asked as many students as you can and then you collect some work in and you realise you haven't explained it to everybody perfectly and they don't understand. And it's that, I think it's that kind of constant sort of mini failures, as it were, which is what drives most of us on. How how could I have explained that better? What could I have done differently? Mm. And it's interesting that... that your teachers are taking responsibility for that as opposed to many years ago I suspect you would have blamed the pupil the pupil would have been not getting it whereas now you're, no. what you're saying is we haven't explained it properly which is a, yeah. a different mindset I guess so 
Absolutely, with a caveat, which is we know that many of our students have got a fear of failure and we need to work quite hard with our students to sort of take risks, etc. So mm-hmm. sometimes it is that that's the blocking in terms of, you know, just have a go and, it, you, you know, take a risk. So, that, you know, it, yeah. Looking for perfection of, all the time. That's Looking for perfection all the time, yeah. Interesting. So you've had a focus on feedback over the last three years. Why did you decide yeah. to focus on that and have you found it useful? Yeah, so yeah, about three years ago, we, de- we decided to, to really narrow down what we, what we were focusing on. Uh, re- research, all the research that you, you read says that focus, focusing on feedback has pays the biggest dividends. Students who know what the next step is to improve mm-hmm. uh, make the most progress. And I guess too often, I mean, you said geography's changed a lot, I think too often students and parents and teachers mistake feedback for marking, so mm-hmm. red pen in books. But actually we know that there's a whole range of different sorts of feedback, so self-assessment and feedback peer feedback, oral feedback from the teacher. And what we've tried to do is, is kind of train our staff to have an armory of different sorts of feedback tools that they can use with the students so that it's not just a, a comment at the bottom of a piece of work. We, mm. still, we still do that, but there, uh, it's been proven in the research that the more different types of feedback you can use, the more powerful it is. And I think something that we've, we've really made great strides on is the student's role in our feedback. So again, it's not just they, we, they do a piece of work, we take it in, we write some comments. They then have to do something with those comments. We call it DIRT, which is Directed Independent Reflection Time. Gosh. There are, there, are pre- <laughs> yeah, there are pressures, which obviously curriculum pressures, creating time in lessons to do that. Mm. But, you know, of, often we've allowed our heads of department, so our middle leaders, to decide what feedback looks like in their subjects. It makes mm. no sense to me to get an English teacher to to give feedback in the same way as maths or PE or arts so they're the experts in their field and they really are experts at channeling so they know what works and we've said to them so they've all designed a feedback policy that's specific for their subject and part of that is almost all our teachers give some time over to do it directed independent reflection time Mm. yeah and how do you judge whether that's working so that's really interesting isn't it well as I keep referring to this year 10 group, so I've just been speaking to a year 10 group about a range of our teaching practices and learning practices and what works for them. So we do a lot of student surveys mm. to find out whether, whether it's working for them. We do, we've just conducted actually some work looks. So our heads of department take in, well, they take in books, but also we're increasingly it's looking online. We use a, a Google Classroom, which is a kind of virtual classroom yeah. for the students yeah. that hosts the work. And... Um, sort of looking at the types of feedback students are getting and the dialogue. So it's that kind of quality control, but also we're using it as a way of sharing good practice. So we've asked our heads of department to screenshot some of the best practice Mm. um, and they're going to share that at meetings in the future. It's one of the best things that's come out of COVID, actually, which is because we were forced to go online, a lot of our practices obviously went online and one of those was feedback. What we're finding now is increasingly colleagues are using recordings of their marking or recording as a voice to give students feedback and we've had some really interesting, interesting feedback on that yeah 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 so I mean it, certainly because um, I know, guess tone feedback. matters doesn't it if you write something so, in a book it can mean you know I, I was bored of marking and I'm just putting something but actually if you have tone there as well absolutely yeah that's absolutely one of the reasons one of the things mm. that the, the students have said that they they can hear the meaning behind what the teacher's saying 
And also, I think, you know, you can talk a lot quicker than you can yeah, write. Yeah. You can say a lot. And because we can then, there's a various devices like Moat, M-O-T-E, and Loom, which record your voice or record mm, you. Yeah. And then it creates a URL. And so the students just cut that URL and, and keep it and they can return to that recording. It's really, really powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's transformative in the way that, that, that many of my colleagues are giving feedback now that's really interesting yeah. Mm. yeah yeah so you mentioned earlier on right at the beginning a fearless learner tell me yeah. what a fearless learner is and why do you focus okay. on it right okay so this is the only bit that i've got written down if you don't mind so <laughs> uh, a, a few a few months ago sort of in the midst of covid I, I was wondering about my role i guess and you know if we're a great school and we get great results you know what is my role and so i was asking my colleagues about what they'd change about channing pupils and and uh, one colleague said, there's very little I'd change about channeling pupils, but I really want them to be more fearless in their learning, to embrace challenges and stop being scared of tests, marks and grades. I want mm. them to stop being afraid of failure. And I guess, like the headline is, we think that that fear of failure is probably one of the blockers of our students making the progress that they should. And also just as a life skill and the sorts of people we want, the sorts of students that we mm. want when they leave Channing, you know, we want people to, to take risks and be, as Mrs Hughes would say, 10% 10, 10 braver. And it's not just been a focus with the students. So since September, in September, we, I asked the, the, my colleagues what a fearless teacher looks like, because I mm-hmm. thought if we're, asking the stu- if we're asking the students to be fearless, yeah. we've got to ask uh, colleagues to be fearless. And that was a really interesting conversation around things like lesson observations, having people in your classroom, changing your habit, work-home balance, you know, lots of, lots of kind of broad conversations around what it is to be a, a brave, uh, fearless professional at Channing. So that was useful. We also asked colleagues what a fearless learner looks like at Channing, and we, we got people to think about, you know, in physics, what's a, a fearless learner look like? In history, what's a fearless <laughs> Not learner Not afraid like? to make a big bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, there is something in that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you can, I think there's, there's a difference between being fearless and foolhardy, isn't there? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a fine line, I'd say. <laughs> that's a very fine line, yeah. There's health and safety issues there. But So we, I then asked our form captains to lead a discussion with their tutor groups that was right across the school from year seven right up to year 13 Mm. and we asked them three questions we said why do you have a fear of failure and we gave them a long list of characteristics of fearless learners and got them to pick three and then we said what can we do to encourage you to be more fearless and I've got a whole load of information now from the students which I'm still distilling but there's lots of really interesting conversations going on around that and it actually links with something that they're doing in the deliberately links with something they're doing at the junior school mm. where they're looking at character education. And interestingly, the two pieces of work were separate. So they did the same thing with the students where they said what sort of characters, characteristics as a, a Channing student at the junior school should have. And they've attached it to birds. But the same sort of same sort of ideas came out across both sides of, of the school, things like independence, resilience, confidence give it a go, embraces mistakes, has a sense of perspective, stays positive. And so the next step is for us to, and I'm going back to my mantra, what's that mean for us in our classroom? What can we do to encourage our students on more confident, more resilient, gives it a go, those sorts of things. So it's a, it's a, it's a probably a three-year project, but I know it's, it's got worth behind it and our students all, will benefit from it and our teachers will. Yeah. And it's also about engaging the parents with it as well because 
if I'm honest, a lot of what's come out is fear of letting your parents down. I was just about to say, that must be one of the driving forces. Yeah, absolutely, which is understandable, but it is about just giving our young people space to make mistakes and and not judge them and not make them feel like they can't. Yeah, so it's almost a holistic family education there, isn't it, to... To it, 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 for it to go right across the board so everybody accepts uh, that you can make mistakes. Absolutely. And it, in January, we've got a company called Inner Drive coming in who are, I, I think are, are superb. They're, they're, it's all grounded in research and it's really accessible. They're coming in to do some work with us from a pastoral angle, from an academic angle on fearless learners and growth mindset. And then in the evening, we've got three sessions for three sets of year groups, the junior school, Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4 and mm-hmm. 5. And they're going to be talking about growth mindset and fearless learners and the role that parents have in that. Yeah. Gosh, just thinking personally, if you can overcome that at an early age, what a benefit that's going to be in life. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you know, there's so much written about mental health issues and, you know, the, the, the concerns, the legitimate concerns surrounding that. And I think part, part of our job is to give students the tools so that they don't get stressed out and they know what to do when they're feeling upset or angry or under pressure and what sort of metacognitive skills we can give them to to cope with that as kind of lifelong learners. Gosh, amazing. Mm. You obviously have a very busy life in school and with all your research (laughs) as well. So what are your interests and passions outside school? Tell me a bit more about you. Right, okay. So, well, I'm I'm married to Catherine. Uh, she's also a geography teacher. Uh, that's how we met, as I said. I've got three daughters. Ellen's my eldest. She's a chartered accountant. What is she? She's um, doing chartered accountancy exams. She did geography at university. And then my middle daughter, Megan, who's 21, and she's training to be a Pilates teacher. And then Rosie, who's in year 13, different school. She's not doing geography. No, she's a supply. <laughs> she, but well, she, she, she thinks she is not, but she really is because she's, <laughs> she, she's applied to do uh, international relations, which has geography. Is, is yeah. geography, really, just under a different name. But uh, I hope she doesn't hear this recording. <laughs> so do you travel if you're a geographer? Do you, well, when you can, obviously, these days. Uh, yeah, I, I love traveling. Actually, in 2006, we... Oh, we uprooted uh, our family and went and lived in Malaysia for two years, which was more than 10% braver, I've got to tell you. <laughs> My kids were quite young. Uh, they were between kind of two and six at the time. But yeah, I taught in Kuala Lumpur at a school. It been interesting. And it was amazing. Mm. It was an amazing time. And we travelled masses there. Uh, I think travelling with children, really, it's, it's a challenge, but it really opens doors. People are... When you travel with children, particularly children who've got very blonde hair, <laughs> they attract a lot of interest. And yeah, it was great. So I, I do enjoy... I do enjoy travelling, mm. yeah. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you today. And, uh, I, can, and you. I can hear the, the passion and your need to develop. And it, it is it is wonderful. It, it's so different. And, you know, isn't it wonderful that education has come so far and presumably yeah. it's still got further to go as well. Absolutely. So, OK, thanks for your time. Lovely to talk to you. And you. Thanks. So that was assistant head teacher Andrew Boardman. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us on this episode of the Chatting with Channing podcast. It was really good to hear from you. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.